0: All right. Well, good evening, uh, church family. So glad to be with you again tonight uh, just for a few moments to recap uh, Sunday's message uh, in our countercultural series. I'm so glad that you're part of this uh, Growing Together Zoom call tonight with Kim and Tony, uh, amazing ladies on our team, and I'm sure you'll have a great discussion afterwards in your groups. And um, I'm just going to I'm excited to to drill down a little bit deeper on some of the uh, thoughts that I shared Sunday. I'm gonna recap a little bit of uh, where I went Sunday, uh, not only for the the purpose of helping uh, set up your discussion tonight, uh, which is kind of how I view this as I'm helping to set you up to have a really uh, life-changing discussion, but also um, I think some of this bears repeating Right. Um, as we think about the the idea, the notion of loving our enemies, it certainly uh, needs some repetition, uh, not just within a couple of days, but weeks and months and years. So um, I'm going to basically that, the way that I'm going to do this, just so you kind of understand, I'm going to walk through the message and just grab some of the highlights and the way that I want to kind of examine more closely. Uh, the thoughts it actually falls within the the guardrails of the message. So as I get to those points, I'll comment like, "Hey, here's where I want to go a little bit deeper," uh, because time didn't allow us to do that on Sunday. So um, let's just jump right in, and I'll 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 kind of lead us out in prayer at the end of my my segment, and again setting you guys up with Tony and Kim to have a great discussion. Um, I said on Sunday that I believe that. Um, the the notion of culture can be likened to the current of a river, that it's always moving, sometimes more forcefully than others, uh, but it's always moving in a certain direction. And living counter culturally as a believer in our culture means that I'm generally, in many ways, swimming upstream against the current. And we talked about how on Sunday that uh, when I swim upstream against the current in a river, it requires extra focus, extra energy. It requires, I use the phrase, a tenacity of spirit, And I think um, living as a Christian in 21st century America requires some of those same things. And I also said, and I think this really needs repeating that, if we are pa- if you're in a river, right? If you're in a river and you're passively floating in that river, you are naturally going to be carried in the direction of the current. And I think that that happens to many, many, many believers Um, maybe casual believers in the church, Big C Church in America, Um, that people who are passively floating in American culture are being carried in the direction of that culture. And that's not always the direction that Jesus would call us to live. So um, the last reminder before I jump in, really jump in for real, um, is that just remember that when you are swimming upstream, whether it's metaphorically in a river or it's spiritually um, upstream against the culture of um, America, you are swimming towards the source, right? And that's what we need to do is swim towards the source of life. Uh, His name is Jesus, and he equips us with his Holy Spirit to do so. Um, So we looked at Jesus' words. Again, I said, I think it's some of the hardest words to live out. He said this, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And most of us would say, in the natural sense, that seems to make sense, right? Like, yeah, I'll love my neighbors, I, people that I get along with, people that I um, live next door to, people that I see eye to eye with, people that I agree with, people that have similar views of the world around me. I'll love them, but the people who have opposing views or who are my enemies that I see as enemies, I have permission to hate them. And so, Jesus is. Is tackling a popular mindset. Uh, And he says, You have heard that it was said like the culture of that day, it had been common for people to say, Yeah, it's okay for you to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But then Jesus, of course, in perfect Jesus fashion, says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And so Jesus takes the normal, the cultural narrative. And flips it upside down. He capsizes to keep with the river <laughs> theme. He capsizes the cultural norm and um, flips it on its head and says, you know what I tell you, instead of only loving your neighbor and hating your enemy, I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. So a couple things, um, and this is where we'll start to dig down a little bit deeper. I said that when I love my enemy, I enable them to sample God's love. And I'm not going to through all of what i said but you and i are called as followers of christ to be conduits of the grace and the mercy and the love of jesus to others to a a broken and dying and hurting world and so when we love our enemies we are giving them a sampling of the love of god and samples as we said on sunday can be very effective and productive and i also said on sunday that when jesus says love our enemies. He doesn't use the storge kind of love that is an empathy or compassionate kind of love. And he doesn't use phileo love um, in the Greek, which would recognize like a brotherly love, like a comrade, you know, friendship love. He actually used the word agape love, which is God's unconditional love. And so when you think of it in those terms, Jesus said that you are called to unconditionally love your enemies. And so here's what I want to I do with this first half, is look at the passage that Paul gave us in 1 Corinthians 13, which we said isn't just a marriage passage, even though um, oftentimes people think of it in terms of marriage, and that's fair. This is first a Christian passage, and Paul said this. He's describing the way that we are to love, and it's the same word. The reason I think that this is a fair comparison is that Paul uses the exact same word for love that Jesus used before Paul wrote this. He uses the word agape. He says, love, agape love, is patient. Agape love is kind. It does not envy, does not boast, is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trusts, always perseveres, love never fails. And there's three parts of that that I, again, enough didn't have time on Sunday, but I want to kind of just tease out a little bit for us in this growing together evening. The three parts of that love passage I want to apply to the love your enemies is, uh, are these, love is patient, love is kind, and love is not proud. The first one, love is patient. The The literal definition of that word that we find in the Greek, patient, means this, to be of a long spirit. Listen to this, to be of a long spirit, to endure misfortunes and trouble, listen, or to endure the offenses and injuries of others. Now, when I think of enemies, or again, people who I perceive to be my enemy, I think of people who injure me or who who create offense in my life. They offend me with their words, with their actions, with their views, with their political preferences, with their statements on Facebook, on social media. I think of people who, who kind of rub me the wrong way and they offend me and they cause me injury. And then in turn, I think I should have the right to mistreat them. But Paul says love is patient. It means that I have a long spirit, towards those people who cause me pain and injury. And I would say that sometimes the most loving thing, again, agape love, the most loving thing that I can do towards a difficult person is to show them patience. And I don't find it ironic. I've said this for years at weddings. I do not think it is ironic or accidental that, that the very first think about this, the very first word that, The Holy Spirit led Paul to use when he describes love. There's no other passage like this in the entire Bible that describes love like this. Like Look from cover to cover, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. You will not find a paragraph like this where the Holy Spirit used Paul to describe and define what love is. This is it. This is the paragraph in the entire scripture. It is not accidental that the very first descriptor that the Holy Spirit had Paul write down is love is patient. Think of the hundreds, literally hundreds of adjectives that could have been used as the very first word out of the gate. What is love? God, what is love? And he used the word patient. That is is remarkable and that probably could consume your entire discussion time tonight in your groups love is patient think of it this way patience often means that i won't react to someone but instead i will respond to them and you've heard that that's not new to you but but remember it in the 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 framework of loving your enemy means that i won't react to someone that I view as my enemy, but I will instead respond in patience. And the second one flows right from the first one, love is kind. Again, the first two words that Paul used to define and describe love is that it is patient and it is kind. You cannot be kind if you are not first patient. Just take yourself, to the last time you were at a grocery store, you were, at a, you were at some, in some line somewhere, and you were growing impatient. How hard, I know for me, maybe you're better than me, you're more spiritual than me, you're just naturally kinder and patienter. I don't think that's a word, but you do that more naturally. For me, it is very difficult for me to be kind if I'm feeling impatient. I'm guessing that you're similar to me because we all struggle with our own humanity, right? So love is patience, and love is kind. Literally, kind means here of a good or benevolent nature or disposition. And I would say this, and I'm going to use another word, another scripture to define scripture here. Um, I think that when we are thinking about being kind in that agape love towards our enemies, I think sometimes... Or oftentimes, it means that we are overlooking an insult. Again, if you go back to what it means to be patient, it means to, to have a long spirit towards somebody who is injuring me or causing offense. So you roll that into what it means to be kind, and it means that we overlook an insult. In fact, the proverb says in Proverbs twelve sixteen, it says a fool, listen to me, A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a wise man or a prudent man overlooks an insult. Let me read that again to you because it needs to sink in. A fool shows his annoyance at once. And every one of us can think of of a recent example probably where we showed our annoyance with someone rather quickly. And the proverb says it's a fool who shows his annoyance at once. But a wise man, a prudent man, overlooks an insult. What does agape love towards my enemy look like? I'm patient with them and I'm kind by overlooking an insult. And you can chat about that in your group later tonight. And the third aspect, which I think, again, wraps these together, love is not proud. Again, the agape, unconditional kind of love that Jesus calls us to have towards our enemies is to never be proud or to to flip that, use the positive side of that, is to be humble, to walk with a posture of humility towards every person I will ever meet. Literally, it means to be not puffed up or to not have a lofty view of one's self, right? So, to walk in humility it's the opposite of proud and i'm to walk in humility literally means i'm putting others before myself i'll put other people first their wishes dreams and desires i'll put their concerns before mine i won't be offended by them and i'm just going to always consider others better than myself and i and maybe maybe i have this um, silver lining view of the world but i i believe that many of the world's conflicts, not just global, but individual, at the workplace, in the church, many of our conflicts would be solved if we walked with genuine humility towards one another. So love is patient, love is kind, and love is humble or not proud. The second thing I talked about on Sunday was this. When I love my enemies, I disarm their animosity. And I gave you uh, Proverbs 15 one, which says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a sharp reply stirs up anger. Um, and I, I believe this works most of the time. I think it's a, a quote right there. Um, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a sharp rep- reply stirs up anger. I think the second part always works, right? If you want to stir up anger, you just you just match tone, right? You responding kind. If somebody is sharp with you and you'll be sharp back, you are guaranteed. To stir up anger. I think the first part usually works. Again, the proverbs in wisdom literature, I think most scholars agree that's generally what is true most of the time, but it's not a promise in the same way that other parts of scripture might be considered a promise, but it's generally true most of the time. A gentle answer will turn away wrath. And most of us are comfortable responding in kind, like in, in the same tone. When somebody gives me a tone, then I'll respond with respond with the same tone and i'm telling you the the bible says and if we're going to love our enemies the way jesus calls us to we're not going to respond with the same tone we will we will bring it down a notch we'll respond with a loving patient kind tone when somebody takes a sharp tone with me then i read romans 12 and i want to dig into this just for a few more minutes um again paul wrote first corinthians and he also wrote romans he said this to the believers in rome do not repay anyone evil for evil be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now, again, you can talk about that later. I don't have time to, to break that down. We could take 40 minutes on that. What does that mean? How can I do what's right in the eyes of everybody when everybody doesn't always define right the way I define right, right? So that, that's a, a different discussion. Maybe you want to dig into that. Maybe not. Um, but this. then he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone do not take revenge my dear friends but leave room for god's wrath for it is written he's quoting scripture is mine to avenge i will repay says the lord on the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him something to drink in doing this you will heap burning coals on his head three things i want to comment on just like i did three parts of the the love chapter in first corinthians 13 i want to comment on three aspects of this passage in romans and then i'm going to pray you guys out uh the first part is this um and i think that i think there's a strong connection uh between romans 12 and 1 corinthians 13 the first part is this live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on you paul said live at peace with everyone i think i think where we sometimes uh, miss is that we think peace is passivity right we think that To be at peace, it means I need to be passive. And sometimes that is true. Sometimes I will choose to not engage. So I will actively pursue peace with people that I'm at odds with, sometimes by by overlooking the insults. Again, this is why I think it connects to First Corinthians 13. That when I when I'm gonna live at peace with somebody, somebody who I see as an enemy, I'm simply not going to engage in conflict. I'm going to pass. On this particular moment in time and I'm not going to engage and this is again where we need to be dialed into the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us and ask him to give us discernment and pray that the Holy Spirit will make us aware if this is a moment where I should pass and live in peace with this person or if this is a moment where I should actively engage in the conflict and work towards reconciliation to find peace that way not all situations are the same right sometimes it's better for me to overlook the insult Paul said that in first Corinthians 13 why not rather be offended he said why not rather overlook the insults but there are times where the Holy Spirit would guide us and say you know what Scott this is a time where you engage in the conflict and you work towards peace through reconciliation does that make sense so sometimes we work towards peace through overlooking the insult. And sometimes we work towards peace through engaging in conflict for reconciliation. Only the Holy Spirit can guide you into knowing which which moment is which, okay? Paul also said, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Again, this in many ways is counter-cultural. The culture we live in, the way that the current of culture moves is that I'm gonna get revenge, right? There's all kinds of, little uh, snippy quotes, uh, revenge is a dish best served cold, right? Like there's all these different, um, these different statements about revenge that people know in our culture. But the Bible says, right, Paul said, do not take revenge, but leave room for God to act, right? W- the way of the kingdom is that I'm not going to avenge myself, but I'm going to let God handle the situation However, he sees best. I guarantee you that probably the way God wants to handle it is different than what our flesh would want to do. But again, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So the revenge that you and I might want to see uh, carried out on somebody isn't necessarily the way God is going to handle the situation. And then the last thought is he said this. He said, um, Feed your enemy. If he is hungry, give him something. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And I want you to notice that what Paul said is a very active um, statement. He said, If your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. So that's a broad statement. Basically, you could say, If my enemy needs something, I will provide. For my enemy again countercultural, right that doesn't make sense in the culture we live what do you mean i'm gonna care for my enemy's needs jesus said agape unconditional love your enemy love is patient love is kind it is not proud it is not boastful it is not puffed up right if i'm going to love my enemy if i'm going to live out the kingdom way that jesus invited us to do then i'm going to follow first Corinthians 13 and Romans 12 that says I'm going to be kind to them i'm going to live at peace with them as far as it depends on me i'm not going to take revenge on my enemy and i'm going to actually do the opposite instead of taking revenge on those who offend me i'm going to live counter-culturally and i'm going to do the opposite instead of taking revenge i'm going to feed them i'm going to be kind to them i'm going to be patient with them i'll give them something to drink when they have a need i'll send them uh something that they need right like this is so opposite from what the way of the world is but again if we go back to the very beginning if culture is moving in a certain direction just like the currents of a river if i live passively in that culture i'm going to be carried in the direction of the current you and i as followers of jesus are almost i don't want to say always but we are almost always being called to live counterculturally sometimes things that are happening in culture are good, right? Okay. I'm not trying to condemn every single aspect of American culture, but so there are things that are good and that are are helpful, but there are many times where as followers of Christ, we will be invited and called to live not antagonistically, but oppositely to the culture around Mm -hmm. us and to be counter cultural. So I hope you guys, I hope it gave you some food for thoughts and, some opportunity to dig deeper into Sunday's message. Um, And maybe you could even use the bottom line from Sunday, which is this, and then I'll close in prayer. We need to love our enemies until we win our enemies. Okay, so again, Jesus said, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. So let me pray you guys out. Father, thank you for uh, this gathering tonight. Thank you for each person who has joined us for this, This Wednesday night growing together segment. Thank you for the opportunity to spend time together to gather in this fashion. Thank you for Tony and Kim. I pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment and guidance as they uh, lead discussions and facilitate. And I thank you for each person, God, who has joined us tonight. I pray that you would now enrich our conversations, enrich the discussion, enrich the Bible study, and let your Holy Spirit teach us all things and lead us into all truth. And so, Bless this time together now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys for your attention, and God bless you as you go into your discussion groups.